Good morning, I'm Amber. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were in camp by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel? Who has been with me, not for days and years, and since he deserted to me? I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Thanks be to God. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central. And um, we continue in our sermon series through the book of Samuel. And I am building on last week's sermon delivered by Pastor Kim and the truth of how God's grace makes all the difference in our lives. There is a uh, gospel song about 10 years old recorded by the Kurt Carr singers that I owe the title of this sermon that has the following lyrics. I would be lost like a ship without a sail. Without it, I would be nothing. I am sure that I would fail. Never would have made it if it wasn't for your grace. I've had my share of heartaches and shed my share of tears. I've seen a lot of hard times down throughout the years. And I would never have made it it without your grace. When I think about my life and the things I've been through, I can't help but lift my hands and tell you, thank you. I never would have made it if it wasn't for your grace. I've tossed and I've turned all through the night, praying and wondering if God was going to make everything all right. No, I never would have made it if it made it without your grace. I've been so stressed, stressed out, thought I was going to lose my mind. 
But God stepped in and gave me peace of mind. I never would have made it if it wasn't for your grace. If it wasn't for your grace. And as inspiring and comforting the words to that song may be, it is super difficult for us to believe and trust that God's unearned and undeserved favor because of Christ is not only what makes us his, but keeps us his. We would rather, for some reason, much rather, Look for a cause, right, within ourselves and within our actions that would make God want to love us and make God want to be on our side or earn or prove our righteousness. And when we do that, our personal attempts at self-righteousness to show off before God makes us more like the antagonist in 1 Samuel Saul and less like the just as undeserving, let me add, protagonist in the story, David. But this biblical account and great and what I would describe as beautifully and morally conflicting detail shows us that like David, we would be liars, right? We would lose our way. And finally, we would forsake the Lord if it wasn't for God's grace. The character Buddy's words in the Christmas cult classic Elf describes David well. He's not sitting on the throne of Israel at this point. He is sitting on a throne of lies, right? Y'all can go ahead and laugh, give y'all a minute to laugh. That whole scene is funny. Acting, David is acting like he's with the Philistines and a servant of one of the Philistine kings, Achish. And Achish is completely bamboozled, thinking for the last year and a half that David has been raiding Israeli camps and territory. But David really has been using his space and protection near and with the Philistines under Achish, Achish to, to raid the enemies of Israel while at the same time gaining Achish's favor on false pretenses. You know what we call that? Lying. <laughs> Deceiving. Using your advantage while acting and living in the dark, like David who steals and loots and kills without God's confirmed go-ahead, right? He was self-deceiving, just, just acting in what I would describe as the gray, dark gray, right? Charcoal gray, because he's more dark than light right now in what he's doing. But this is more than his deceiving the Philistines. Because this could just be a story about, don't lie, right? But his deception, ironically, becomes an opportunity for God's grace to show up and work in David's life. The only true thing going on in this whole story, the truth that will save David from his deception is God's gracious, gracious choice to love David. 
that David belongs to God. That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. I know we like to flip that and be, oh, a man after God's own heart is somebody who does all the things right all the time that God desires. No, a man after God's own heart also implies, and more importantly implies, that God's heart is in tune with that man. You see, this is, this is, about, this is about David belonging to God, and God has decided to not let David see destruction and is not allowing him to be found by those who would have the power to destroy him and mess up the plans of God that God has for him. It is not about David being shrewd and cunning enough either. Look with me at verse 4 that was read earlier. It says here, but the commanders of the Philistines were angry because David all hanging out with them about to go to battle. Angry at Achish, right? And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man David back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. Because he was explaining David works for me now. He shall not go down with us to battle. Lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile, another word for reconcile there is a, um, prove himself acceptable to his Lord. Would it not be with the heads of the men here? You see, Achish and the Philistine lords are, are deceived, right? Not just by David's double agency. I want you to see this. They are in the dark because they don't understand and see God's single-minded agency, right? They can't see and don't consider how God's grace powerfully works in loving and protecting his people. They should be afraid, not that David is going into battle and he can't be trusted, but that the Lord is sure to go into battle if David goes. You see, the Philistine war lords miss why it really wouldn't be a good idea to take David into battle and what they should be most concerned about in having David with them. Not because David might be scheming against them to gain God's approval, favor, or be reconciled, but that God would scheme to save a David who is already favored and accepted by God. You see, it is, not God, it is not David's commitment to the Lord that they're pointing out that is most dangerous to them. But the Lord's commitment that he would not have anything happen in battle that would overturn his grace for David and his people. The greatest foe is God's grace at work in David's life, and that is hidden to them, the Philistines, through the world that, is, that are in this world of lies and deception and hidden fears, that God will remain true to those he loves. Who God's children are is often hidden to the world. And let's be honest, y'all, you believers, we believers, we don't always tell. Or, or own the truth about God in what we say or what we don't say and how we act at school, how we act at work, how we act at home, how we act in our relationships. And we would, in essence, make God a liar if it was only about our ability to be true enough to make him and his ministry and who he is in the world right enough. See, what is often hidden to us and completely hidden to our world is that God's grace makes you true and his truly. Hear me. 
He will not let your lies and deception and the world's blindness to who you really are, a world that will actually encourage you to play their deceptive games. He will and does not allow them to overtake your true identity because God's going to be true in your life even if you can't be true in your life all the time. He's not going to let it overtake you. And cause you to lose your way. It is no secret that David, as you read this, brother was in a real bind, right? He jumped from the jelly to the jam, right? That, that's, that's an old PE reference, y'all. Y'all might be too young. Little flavor flag. Okay. But he had lied and he acted out so good, so double agent right or whatever the word is that Achish trusted David to be part of the Philistine army this is unheard of right he, he, he trusted him to be part of the Philistine army and attack on Israel the nation get this David was already ordained to be the next king and I think it's safe to say David was about to lose his way you know why? Because all the exits, all the excuses were closing in on him. The room was growing dark and crowded. Not only with Akish, but the other skeptical Philistine kings. And then on the backside of all of this, his need to protect his people and obey God. David was lost and caught in a self-spun web in the world he chose to play with and work in and survive by and use and abuse the system. And now the bill is coming due and he has no way out. But David is not just lost and caught up in the world of Philistine ideals, goals, and principles and working among and with them. David starts, as you can imagine, to lose himself right? As the, as the next king. Look at the identity battle. Akish says, this dude, and I mean, this dude goes on. I mean, he, he almost writes a psalm about David, right? Look, he, he says, this dude has always been true to me. He says, he's my faithful servant. And another, he even tells David, hey, David, let me tell you, man, you, you, you're, like the, you're like an angel of God. And then the Philistine lords come out and say, you mean this is the dude? You mean this dude with the ancient ghetto superstar mixtape, right? The, with, with the corrido or whatever, the, 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 the narrative song, like those narco corrido songs where they make, you know, uh, patron saints of, 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 of the drug cartel, right? You mean this dude with the catchy hook in the song about him cutting Philistine heads? No way this dude's going to war among his own people who had one time made him a patron saint. But here's the thing. This confusion of identity must have been going on in David's mind, right? It was going on in his life, in the minds and lives of those who were following him. Who in the world was he? His heritage, his faith said one thing, 
and his location, camaraderie, and actions, said another. We have all lost our way. There ain't nobody alive who hasn't lost their way in deceptions, in the ambitions, and in the opportunities that come with living, working in, and sometimes right alongside a world that is diametrically opposed to us. And the gospel, some of us claim, right? I mean, think about it. Have you thought about who you are lately based on what you do on a daily basis and who you're working for? And I know this is touchy in a city like Charlotte, but I must ask, what do the banks you work for really believe? Like, what's their ultimate goal? Is it the same as the kingdom of God? Is it? I mean, what is their ultimate goal? Is it just to get rich? Right? Who are their lords? Like the Philistine lords, if you will. Who are the people leading? And not just the banks, any organization that you work for. Who are the people really leading? The ethical and eternal hopes of the company you work for and with. What about the music you listen to? What about the movies we watch? I don't want to talk about this because I love everything. What about the TV shows and books we're all into right now? Oh, no, here we go. What about your politics? I don't understand why any Christian is not a registered independent. I mean, how could you be given and committed, signing on a dotted line of any group, right? But we are. I'm not, this ain't the storm in the dogget, and I'm not telling you to go register as independent because you'll get a lot of phone calls. But we are into nonprofit organizations and all kind of political action groups. I don't need to talk about this. Oh, my gosh, right? And sports and on and on. Who? And where are you in the fight? Where are your commitments? Where is your time going? Think about it. Who are you on social media? What is your name on social media? What's your handle? right? I mean, what have you been doing or having to do to cope? I'll, I'll be understanding. I do it. What, like, what are you doing to have to cope? D David was trying to cope. I mean, wh what are you doing to stay? What are you doing to maintain? What are you doing to, to survive? What are you doing and who are you to stay happy? Who are you and what are you doing to protect those who you love? You say you love. Do you know where your faith and God matters and applies every single moment, every single time, every single minute, every single hour, in every single situation and relationship? I mean, think about it. Are you just part of the machinery at work. Do you know who you are? And are you that person all the time? Or are you a different person than who God, say, who, than who God says you are when it comes to making money and saving on taxes and being liked or accepted? or enjoying yourself, or feeling good, or winning. You know, the Bible talks about how we can easily become the kind of people who look in a mirror at who we are, and as soon as we leave the mirror and turn and face the world and see what is before us and available to us and facing us, we'll forget immediately what we look like. 
You know, the Bible's not talking about the bad people in that passage. <laughs> but about us, sometimes weak and uncommitted believers. Like King David here. And later the Apostle Paul, I mean Peter, and every one of the disciples at some point, we are talking about you and me. Everyone and any one of us is and would be lost in this world on our own, in our own moral choices, holiness and power, if the Lord didn't keep us and hold us in his way by his grace. I'm going to say something a little borderline scandalous. Even if you aren't sure where and who you are all the time in your thoughts and behavior, wherever and whoever you might find yourself, there is never a time or place or situation, a web you could weave where God is unsure of where you are and who you are to him. I mean, all in Philistine territory, breaking the law, living wild, getting his and doing himself. Because David got mouths to feed, the street's going to eat kind of mentality. And even if David was going to risk it and get out there and double-cross the Philistines, once he got in the, out in the battlefield, he was all in his feelings and confused and crossed up as ever. Get this. It was God's story. God's plan, God's integrity, God's never changing, never turning his face, never losing sight of us, never letting us get lost or lose ourselves if we are his grace, right? It was God's grace that didn't go, go from being a double agent, didn't allow David from going from being a double agent to then becoming a two-timing fool rogue that day. I was laughing at the days I was thinking about this. Maybe everyone's experienced this at one time. Have you ever experienced when you were a child walking out of the store in the mall alongside your mama or daddy only to look up and see that ain't your mama? That ain't your daddy? Well, you just kind of waist high and, and, and you get this weird feeling. It, sometimes you don't even see them. You're just like, whoa, something don't feel right the, the, where I'm walking. And, who, and one time that happened to me, I was, in, you know, I was going in on a piece of candy. I think I had a lollipop. Just, just going in, not looking, just looking ahead, walking with somebody. I don't know who that person was, but it wasn't my mama. And I was headed out the front door, you know, uh, of the store, headed, I mean, about to head to the car. And somebody called my name, Howard. And I'm like, what? what? Oh, Lord. <laughs> we, Christian or not, can be confused about who we are walking with, even if we belong to God. Even if sometimes we don't want to, but you be going in ambitiously on something and you ain't really looking. Can't imagine you would walk out of a store with another person who ain't your mom or your dad, right? I'm sure David didn't imagine that going over to Philistine territory to save his people and save his own life would mean he'd be in the army about to kill the Israelites, right? We can be confused about who we're walking with and where we are going, and we believers are not better in and of ourselves. 
because we know and know ourselves better. Now, believers may have a better opportunity to know who they are by the work of God's Spirit, but as children of God living here, we get fooled in this world and believe silly things about ourselves and play around and pretend too much and sometimes don't know how to stop playing in our relationships and jobs and passions, desires until it's too late. We have walked out of a place of protection and safety alongside something that we really shouldn't be walking with. You know what is so true about the Bible? Man, this thing has been used as a moral compass. Like this, this, this whole thing is about don't be like David, be like David, don't be like, you know, you get Sunday school, hey, don't act like them, God gonna get you, right? You know the Bible, this may come as a surprise to some, its message and story is not about being a good child. It's about being a child. <laughs> It's about recognizing you a child. This Bible, the gospel story, is the story about the best parenting and fathering and mothering job the world can ever know through the Lord. How God does not allow his bad baby kids, right, wandering, walking away to, to never be lost to him to call their names before they walk out into the street, to grab them before they're, they're destroyed. We're children, y'all, in a world we can't handle, with hearts too big for ourselves, for passions that we can't defeat on our own. But here comes our Father, and here's the irony. Believing that God got you and know you is the way back to being true to yourself and the Lord, more than you trying to do some moral trick to unloose yourself. Because when you start doing the moral tricks to unloose yourself, you know, today I'm going to be a, a different person. Uh, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm, I'm changing this to, today. Instead of, you know, David did that. He, the Bible says he didn't consult the Lord. He, it's contrasted to a chapter earlier, to, to earlier, where he actually took the ephod and prayed to God. But when we try to fix our situation, even if it's, um, you know, I'm trying to do God's thing, you know, it, it's all up to me, you know, uh, whatever kind of stuff. Don't you know you are simply weaving a web of greater deception for yourself? And you know what's going to happen? God's going to have to come back around and save you again. Do you know what spotting is in the dance world? I asked Kelly about it, and I looked it up, and this is what I learned, okay? Spotting is a technique used by dancers during the execution of various dance turns. I tried it. didn't work for me. My neck couldn't go around quick enough. I don't have much of a neck, so it, it just didn't work right. The goal of spotting is to attain a constant orientation of the dancer's head and eyes to the extent possible. You can tell I copied this, right? Right out of Wikipedia. In order to enhance the dancer's control and prevent dizziness. As a dancer turns, spotting is performed so as to fix the dancer's gaze on a single location. As they spin, the spotting point, or simply the spot is what it's called, dancers will sometimes focus on an actual visual spot if one is available 
But if no suitable object is available, the spotting point may be another dancer. The world is constantly moving. They can't be our spotting point. As we are spinning and out of control and dizzy to the place of falling out in this ever-moving world, you know what the Bible tells us? The Lord has come to dance with us. To be in our lives with power and grace as our lead and our constant spot. If you're like me, sometimes it's like, Lord, I, I don't know which way is up. You know, I'm so crazy sometimes. I, I Like some of y'all, so don't act like y'all ain't crazy too. You be waking up, you like, why am I getting up? Like, what? Why am I going to work? What, what am I doing? Like, who am I? Help me, Lord. I, I don't know. I, I kind of felt a little on this side of the bed this morning. And yesterday I woke up thinking this kind of way. I was happy yesterday. Now I can't stand myself today. Lord, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Help me. I don't know which way is up around me or in me right now or know how to get myself out of this, but to go along or lie or not be me. I've gone too far. I've gone too deep. I've, webbed, uh, I've weaved the web too tight, too much. Save me. You see me, Lord. You're going to have to know me better than I know myself right now. David's song in the psalm says this when he is lost. Lord, it says, you search me. You know me. It's like he's requesting it. Lord, search me. Please, you find me in the middle of my sin and my mess and my darkness because I can't even see myself. That's his hope. That, that his hope was that God saw and knew everything about him. Even the Bible tells us before he was born, while he was in the womb. It's a simple understanding of why abortion is inconsistent and troubling with biblical belief. If God knows you, that's enough for your life to be valuable. And guess what the Bible says? He knows you before you were known or seen by anybody else, including yourself. And this is why I'm throwing all, everything out today, right? I'm throwing all the controversial stuff out, right? And one point, but why do we think infant baptism is biblical? It is about being known, right? And to the, to the Lord, to the community of faith, more than knowing yourself and everything about God. But, you know, it's funny. We think that, hey, when we get old enough, we will know ourselves well enough and know the faith well enough and know the Bible well enough where, where we can be trusted with the faith. You ain't entrusted with the faith. You're entrusted in the grace of God. I don't trust myself. Well, well let me, uh, you know, I went to seminary four years, did the studies. I know the Bible, uh, uh, you know, professionally even, you know. I, I, I got a degree in divinity, right? I got a master's in divinity. Divinity, that's about God, right? I can't be trusted. I get up every morning. Lord, I got to trust you because I forgot. I don't know. Some things I know I don't even want to do. You see, David's identity was connected and set by the purpose and plan of the grace of God. That God had already adopted David to experience and know who he was, right? That we would, forsake, that we would not forsake and leave and lose him. Because without him, we would. 
Let me go back to verse 4. Look like verse 4, the only verse I'm going to be reading, right? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with Hakish, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send this man back, that David may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He won't go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary for, to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord, would it not be with the heads of the men here? David had gone to battle with the Philistines, broken God's law, possibly been responsible for killing Saul, whom he vowed he would not kill, or gotten himself and all his men killed. At this point, I'm going to just be honest, I read it. I know commentaries want to go ahead and take that second step. I can't take that step with some of them, right? At this point, I'm going to say, from what I read here, it's hard to tell what David was doing or thinking about. We don't know what he's going to do, do we? He don't tell us. I mean, instead of take, I mean, he, here's funny. Here's what's funny. Instead of taking an easy out, when Akish tells him, sorry, dude, say you can't go down to battle with us, right? David in verse 8 doubles down. Wait a minute, Akish. Like, he had a chance to get out, right? He had a chance to, to, to get out of this thing and, 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 and go back to his family. And, and Akish says, they won't let you go down. David says, huh, why? Tell me what I do to, deserve, to not deserve to go fight with you against my own people, please. And he forces Akish to give more information. Now, now I'm going to tell you, maybe he was playing the double fool like he did before to not give away that he was about to double cross them or assure the safety of his men as he walked away. Or maybe he did want to secure his place by participating in the battle. The Bible doesn't tell us. I want to believe that he was going to turn coat on the Philistines and win back Saul's approval, but that wasn't God's way for him either. But back to what I was saying, if he had gone to battle with the Philistines against his own people, as the Philistine kings imply in verse 4, it would have been forsaking, turning, and leaving his God. As a matter of fact, the language used by the Philistine warlords already considered David irreconciled, right? Unacceptable in his, to his God in the way he's acting and, and being all with Hakish like he is already. They see it. You over here with us? You, you working for Hakish? You, you ain't right with God, right? You're out of accord. He, he, we know God, you ain't right with God right now, that he has forsaken the care of God or he would be over there. David had forsaken and lost faith in God to some and some large degree, plain and simple. His fear overcame his faith. He lost trust in the Lord. When the odds were against him, when he saw a way to stay alive and to win and be accepted and have purpose and escape hardship and be safe about things and, and take matters into his own hands, he put God on hold. He sent God to voicemail. He forsook God like a man who believed that God would. Hello, um, this is Howard Brown, the pastor at Christ Central Church, and we had some technical difficulties, some unfortunate te technical difficulties uh, last Sunday, and I didn't get to finish my closing point and um, so I've decided just to put it down for future reference and for those who actually wanted to finish hearing 
the last 10 minutes or so of this sermon. And what we come to so far is that the Philistines in their assessment of David being and acting sort of out of accord with what his God called him to do was right. David was forsaking God like a man who actually believed that God would or did forsake him and going over to the Philistines and going over and started uh, acting like he was with them and even saying he was willing to go in battle with them to live deceptively to save his life. I mean, let me just go ahead and say this is some easy, broad exegesis of the passage as we look into God's grace for David. But God in his grace would not forsake David. The scripture is telling us that, that God was in Philistia, right? On the other side, because God was what? With and in David in such a way that it was the Lord now commanding the situation, if we look at the text, by letting the Philistines stay deceived in their lack of understanding of who God was. You see, they thought David needed to do something for his God to be reconciled, for God to be okay with him. I hope you can see that there, but, but little did they know, David was never completely irreconciled with his God because his God had not forsaken him. And the proof of that is David was relieved of his deception and confusion and the web that he had woven, you know, he was freed from his own deception by the sovereignty of God acting in the situation. Look at what happens here. God let David be protected by Achish enough so that the other Philistine lords didn't strike him down right there when they saw him. But at the same time, he was rejected strongly enough by the Philistine kings so that he would not have a chance to betray the Lord any further and possibly be lost in his own foolish way. I mean, if we get through the eyes and lens of God's providential grace, see things, God had and has and will have things fixed for the good of his people and his glory, right? I mean, little does the world know and little do we always recognize the game we live in in this world is fixed by God's grace to benefit his people, that, that it is not fair, it is the faith, right? That even through hardship and failure and rejection and on and on, God has, the Bible teaches, orchestrated things, even with sin and satanic activity and worldly powers at work, he's orchestrated things in such a precise way that he is not the reason and one responsible for sin, and you and I at the same time are not forsaken or left by God out there. Listen, God's children did not get and do not get what their sin and short-sightedness or lack of faith should give and take them, just like David here, right? What should destroy them and should separate us from the love of God is moved and overcome by God's gracious hand. I mean, sometimes like David doubling down, we try uh, so hard to do it our way. And sometimes God will break our hearts and hurt our feelings and turn us back so that we would not be lost to our faith. 
that we wouldn't lose faith, that we would not be captured and, and turned by the world forever away from him. Now, I cannot tell you just the number of times I, right, personally have worked hard to do and get what I shouldn't. What the Lord didn't want or have for me to have or, or, or God didn't have for me to be or, or get or enjoy. And, and I, like David, have even doubled and tripled down in messing up my marriage or my fatherhood or ministry. Personal relationship with the Lord only to find that his grace is around every corner, right? That, that I recognize he's got me, right? He he holds me. He stops me from going where I shouldn't go. He, he stops them. He makes the weather change. He can make a pandemic happen or things get canceled because I am his and the Lord won't forsake that about himself as much as I might try to forsake him for myself. And the Bible asks this question because I know it's going through um, your minds right now. Should we sin? Is sin good so that grace abound or so that grace can be tested? Bible says, no, of course not. But that grace that abounds, right? But that grace abounds is power to say no to the sin that divides us from each other and from God. You know, there is a certain irony, you know, as a father, where I'm kind of waiting for opportunities to show my son's grace. You know, I kind of want to win them with my love and to my love and and I run to any opportunity, right, where, where they may have failed or even disobeyed. Now, I don't want them to fail, and I don't want them to disobey. But boy, the opportunity, when it presents itself, is there for me to pour not just correction and discipline, and I told you so, souls, but for them to hear and receive in that correction that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I am your dad, and I will love you no matter what, as much as humanly possible. Now think about this. God is not just human. He is more than human, right? He is divine, and he has a grace-fueled, empowered love that says, I will never leave or forsake you. That even if you are not calling my name, I will not forget mine, your Lord, your God, your Father, in calling yours, in calling and bringing you back to me. One commentary I read said that in some of these stories, you know, many, David is the Christ figure, right? The one who teaches us about Jesus, right? Is a prefiguring of Jesus long before Jesus actually walked the earth. But this chapter, he's just a typical, ragged, opportunistic, self-preserving sinner who is loved by God. But here is a real turn for me. When I look at this passage, I think, where, where would Jesus be found in this story? Like, like, where do we see the redemptive work of God in a person who shows up in the story? And it's a real crazy thing. Because I believe it's Akish in this way. He bore, he took on David's deception. And that stood before the kings, the judges, pleading the case of a liar and a deceiver and a lost man, a, a forsaken child, a criminal. And because of his plea, David was set free. Because of his declaration of Jesus, David being righteous, even when he was a sinner, he was set free. 
with one difference with Christ. Jesus, with his eyes wide open to what it meant and who we are, took on our deceptive ways, owned us as his, owned it as his own, risked his life for those who would turn on him so that in God's sovereign plan, we would not be liars, stuck being liars. We would not be stuck, forsaken, that we would no longer be lost, but that we would be pulled and snatched back and found in the hands of the Lord. Jesus, like a quiche, was rejected by the world so that sinners like us, like David, could be set free to be the Lord's again and again and again. And I just urge you and I ask you, tired of living as a liar, just a liar, tired of just living like you're forsaken because you keep forsaking or, or lost? Scripture says, repent and come to God. Don't worry about whether you'll be good enough to stay a believer worthy of God's grace and love. I can already tell you that you won't. But here's the grace of God. He will. So let's turn to him. And maybe right now you're thinking, I, I, I need to pray. I need to repent and receive Jesus. I need to rest again in the grace of God for my life. To say, Lord, I believe you became flesh. That you walked the earth. I believe I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a liar and lost. And I feel forsaken. Jesus, by the grace of God, be my Lord. Take away my sins. Save my life. If you prayed that prayer, it's by grace you stand. By grace you're declared righteous. And by grace you're his. That anything you ever face or ever could do or any way you might even get yourself caught up all over again, you can know if it wasn't for his grace, you would be lost. But his grace is sufficient for you.